So I have a question for us to consider this morning. It's a big one. Where is God? So let's be honest. Is this a question you have ever asked yourself? Where is God? Or maybe it's not necessarily a question that you have found yourself asking, but maybe it's a question that someone else has asked you. Maybe that was a friend or your spouse, a coworker, family member. Maybe it was your child. Where is God? We need to allow ourselves some space to consider this question today because it's a tough question, but it's a realistic one we need to wrestle with sometimes. Take, for example, we see so much pain and conflict in the Middle East. So we do have a ceasefire going on. We're thankful for that. But this hostage situation is still pretty tense. And we know there's decades of this tension and this violence going on in the Middle East. So when we look at all of that, the natural question is, where is God? We know other situations exist. We know children go to bed hungry, families are homeless, marriages can be struggling, people can have illnesses or be lonely. And these situations that I named off, they're not just things that happen somewhere else far away, but they're situations that happen in our own backyard, in our own community. And so we think about all that in those situations, and so we ask, where is God? So this was a question I had someone ask me when I was interning with VITAS Hospice as a hospice chaplain. So my patient had been unable to move from the neck down for over a year. So she had this illness that had came on rather suddenly taking her independence from her seemingly overnight. So at this point, she had given up all hope on any sort of recovery or really even improvement in her quality of life. She lived every day in great pain, even to the amount to where she couldn't set up in a chair or she couldn't be put in a wheelchair without great pain. So that meant that she couldn't even leave her room to engage in other things in the facility that she was in. So her family visited her when they could, but she didn't have a lot of visitors. They worked full-time jobs. They had young children of their own, and they all lived out of town, some even out of state. She, of course, called them when she could. They called her when they could, but because she couldn't move from the neck down, she needed somebody's assistance to even make or receive a phone call. So I remember one of the days that I visited her, she was having a particular hard day, a particular high pain day. And of course, what did she do? She looked me in the eyes and asked me, where is God? Because wouldn't you in that same situation? And so where do we go to find the answer to that question? Where does God focus time and energy And so where should we, as followers of Jesus, as followers of God's way, where should we focus our time and energy to? At the end of the day, what really matters? What is most important? So Jesus gives us an answer to this. He lays it out for us in the parable of the sheep and the goats. A story that is familiar for us if we grew up in church, grew up around these scriptures, and something that we'll take a deep dive into today. 
So it comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll start in chapter 25, verse 31. Now when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. So all of this comes to us in the form of a narrative about the kingdom of God, about what happens in the end times, about what happens when Jesus comes back. And so this all comes in a series of discussions, a series of teachings that Jesus is giving on the subject. And so all these teachings, all of these discussions, they actually span two whole chapters in Matthew. So think about it. You've got two whole chapters. You've got story after teaching after story after teaching after story after teaching. And then we have this, the parable of the sheep and the goats here at the tip top at the very end. So wouldn't you say that this is important? Right? This is where it concludes. This is where it's all drawing. So it clues us in. This is something Jesus is really asking us to pay attention to. So then the king says to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. So this passage would have resonated with Matthew's readers, this original audience, for a lot of reasons. So first and foremost, for us, when we think about sheep and when we think about goats, we think about two very distinct animals. We think, why would one ever have any problem separating them out and distinguishing them? But we have to remember, this passage was not written for our day and our time and our sheep and our goats. So we got to think about Jesus's ancient Greco-Roman context. So sheep and goats in that day and age... Nearly identical. Nearly identical. So to the regular common guy or gal that was not a shepherd, they couldn't tell the difference. It took the trained eye of a shepherd to be able to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. And so this was really important because you needed to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. Because a sheep had great economic value. They had the wool that you could do something with. You could sell for a profit. You could make it into clothes. Whereas a goat, you know, didn't have that. So, what does this mean in the context of the parable? It means that on the outside, 
to the untrained eye, to the casual observer, you had two people, two groups of people that looked like they were serving God perfectly on the surface. People that looked like they were focusing their time and attention where God was. But Jesus had it very clear that the sheep had it right because they were serving the least of these. Jesus named off the five Jewish acts of mercy. The people reading would have known these things he said they were doing like the back of their hands. But Jesus made it very clear they weren't just doing the good things they knew how to do for the sake of doing them. They were doing them to the least of these. To those on the very margins of society. So the Greek word here, elakistoi, literally means the least of these. The most insignificant ones, those on the most edges, on the most margins of society that you could think of, either in that context or in our context. And Jesus says serving those people is like serving him. So when we think about that, when we think about Jesus' words here, we get our answer to that big question of where is God? We see that God is not dead. God is not remote and God has not left the building. We see that God is here and present because God can be seen in the suffering faces of the least of these. And so Jesus is urging us to look and Jesus is urging us to care. And Jesus is urging us to act. Because when we continue to read the scriptures, we see what happens when we don't act. Let's continue in the scripture. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you gave me no clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So this contrast between the two, these words in scripture, they are jarring. They are painful because they're meant to be. So a retired pastor I talked to this morning said that we need to read the scripture and we need to preach the scripture with humility. Realizing that in our journey of seeking to be like Christ and seeking to follow Christ, we can be like a sheep, but we can also fall into the trap of being like goats. All of us. One commentator I read compared this reading of scripture to going to your annual checkup at the doctor. It's not a fun exercise by any means, but it's a necessary one. 
Because think about it, we go through that annual routine of making the appointment at the doctor, going to the appointment at the doctor, going to make the separate appointment for blood work, going through the fasting, getting the blood work drawn, going to that separate appointment to go talk about our blood work. Yeah, because we need to. If there's a lifestyle change we need to make, we need to make it. If there's a medication that we need to be on to fix a problem, well, we have to go through all the song and dance to know about it. Because the results, if we ignore all of that and decide not to go through that process, well, it can be grim. And the same is true for the story that Jesus brings here in these scriptures. The contrast between the sheep and the goats, the harsh language toward the goats, it helps us course correct. It helps us course correct toward the meaning of life. It reminds us of the ways and the places in which we must be looking for God. The ways and places we must be serving others. That we must be looking for and serving and caring for the least of these. It reminds us that all of this is the meaning and the call of the Christian life. To love our God and to love our neighbor. So back to my story about my VTOS patient. I want to let you know how that visit ended. She taught me something amazing that day about the least of these. So after she choked out that question... I actually didn't even respond with words because how can you in that moment? So instead, I grabbed her hand. I put my other uh, hand on her shoulder. I looked her in the eyes and we ended up just crying together. And it was as if in that moment, in the words that we didn't exchange, we knew the answer to that question of where is God was right there in the room. Right there in the room of two people crying together. In that practice of visiting the sick. Visiting the least of these. As Christ commands here in Matthew. So God is found in the least of these. Christ spells it out for us in Matthew. And we find God when we take that action to serve the least of these. Jesus, in these scriptures, makes it clear it's a top priority for us. A top command of how we are to live our lives. It's the why of the Christian life. And so, we might be wondering, well, how do I make that look in my life? What are some ways that I can put that into practice? So, one of the examples I want to share this morning comes from our very own Dale Golden. He is one of our care pastors here. And one of the ways he serves as a retired clergy is by being a guest preacher for other congregations in need. And so I have a story he shared on Facebook that is one of those instances where he was serving as a guest preacher. So this particular congregation had a family who had a new baby. So if you have been there, if you have raised your own young little one, you know how much of an act of Congress it is to bring a baby anywhere. Anywhere. Sometimes especially church. So that morning you wake up and you fill the diaper bag with what feels like half the nursery. You try to make it out the door semi on time, just praying there is not a blow up or a blow out or a spit up that derails you off course. Yeah, I've been there. 
I've been there. And so this family went through all of that and showed up to worship. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. One of the hard parts was over. And so they had their baby with them. And they were in worship. They made it through the music. They made it through the liturgy. Things were going good. And then Pastor Dale began to preach. And the baby began to cry. We all know what happens. We've all been there. But when you are the parent in this situation, it can be a little harrowing. It can feel like all eyes are on you even if you know they're not. And people try to tell you they're not. It feels like All eyes are on you. And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, can I get the baby to calm down? Or am I going to have to go out to the narthex or the lobby and do the baby walk? Can you tell I've done the baby walk a time or two with Wyatt? Yes, yes. But in this situation, Pastor Dale instead took things into his own hands. He walked over to the family, he picked up the baby, and he did the baby walk himself so they didn't have to. He literally finished out the rest of the sermon carrying the baby. The baby was happy, and the whole congregation thought it was the most precious thing in the world. But in all seriousness, I feel like that act of seeing that family in need, providing that service, providing that care... Almost preached more than anything else, any of the words in the rest of his sermon did. He saw a family in need and he swept in and served. He served the least of these, a family with a small baby just trying to make it through church. Making sure that the littlest and the least of these were welcome into the doors of our congregations. And so this is the why of the Christian life. And this is the why of the church too. Because as a church, how much more than even in this situation should we be reaching out to the least of these? Not only offering helping hands to those within our congregation, but even out into our community to show Christ and see Christ in serving the least of these. So we might be out of our official stewardship series, but it's never a bad time to celebrate the ministry of our church in the ways that we serve. So we ask you to be counted in to ministry here through your prayers and your presence and your gifts and your service and your witness because it allows us as a church to be in ministry to others, to serve the least of these So together, united in ministry, we can reach and serve others, the least of these, in our community, in our state, and around the globe, just as Christ commanded. How much more can we do together for the least of these than any one of us could do apart? And I have a few examples to celebrate the ways that our church serves So we have homeless and food insecure families and children in our school system. It's an unfortunate reality that we live with. But we as a church combat this through our partnership with an organization called Kids Pack, which packs meals for children to have on the weekends to help close that gap. And so each and every month during the school year, our church packs over 1,000 meals for food insecure children through Kids Pack. 
So that's 1,000 actions against food insecurity in our community done through this church each and every month of the school year. Each and every month. Think about the lives changed. What a way to serve the least of these. What a way to put our effort and our service where God's heart is. And as I mentioned during the offering time of the service, each and every year around this time, we provide holiday assistance to our neighborhood families to make sure that they know that they are seen and they, they are loved by this church making sure that they have enough to provide a holiday meal for their family, that they have gifts to open on Christmas. And so through their testimonies, families have let us know over and over and over again how much this assistance makes a monumental difference in the lives of these families. And it allows us to be the hands and feet of Christ to these families, serving the least of these. And I could go on and on and on about the ways that this church serves in amazing ways. The ways that we care for the least of these. And so in each of these ways and means and opportunities, we find ourselves where God is. We find ourselves prioritizing the things that God prioritizes, serving in the way that God calls us to serve, all spelled out in Matthew. So as we look forward to the Advent season, friends, may we be counted in. May we be counted into the ways that we can serve the least of these. May we be counted in the way, into the ways that our generosity can make a positive difference in our church, in our community, and even around the world. May we be counted into the ways that we can look, we can care, we can act, we can serve the least of these. Friends, will you close with me? In prayer. So God of love and God of care. We thank you for this scripture and these commands in Matthew. May we remember to take it seriously. May we find all the ways that we can love you. We can love our neighbor. We can love the least of these more. Amen. So friends, if it's been your first time with us today, if it's been many, many times you've been with us or anything in between, we thank you for being here with us today. We love having you in worship. And so as we prepare to go from this place, may you hear this benediction. May you know that when we look into the faces of the least of these, when we serve and care for those who God cares for, that is where we find God. So may we go. May we go to love and serve the Lord just as Christ commands us to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.